I will explain the plan to listeners, but having got a paid-for SoundCloud account where I can put as much up any time, you know, it's sheer madness. I don't know what they're thinking of. but it, I can, <laughs> Until someone stops us. Until someone stops us. But actually the Buzzsprout, as I said, was um, designed to be in half-hour chunks. So we can do the short bit and then talk about more general things rather mm-hmm. and do our review show and split that and split them into two and do the review show going into SoundCloud where, uh, just to give you the heads up on that, it's the arrow of God, the pearls of peace, the element of doubt, the effete angler and the charitable countess, which was on Sunday. I will be mentioning several things. One is looking at the uh, on IMDb at season one mm. of The Saint. There are only 12 episodes. Oh, right. Okay. Which is quite unusual for ITC. And it seems to me that maybe, I don't know if it was a contractual thing and they were sorting stuff out with Leslie Charteris, but maybe Lou Grade was testing the water. Maybe they just didn't have the faith in it. They just thought, all right, I don't know. We're going to have to see how this how this goes. Yeah. Don't know. It's. I think it might have been something to do with Leslie Charteris, possibly, um, because he kind of gave up writing the books on his own for a while, uh, mm-hmm. around about 1962. And the next season, which appears in the autumn of 1963, is, I counted 27 episodes. Now that's, <gasps> that's a really odd number. It is. And whether that's meant to link up with the previous 12, I don't know, which would give you 39, wouldn't it? And that would be the traditional mm-hmm. thing of in the old days in america they used to have seasons of 39 half hour episodes and that would be that would last you two-thirds of the year and then they seemed to kind of roll back and they had the summer repeats and all that sort of stuff so it's quite possible that the production schedule for things like the saint were linked to the machinations of what was going on in uh, American television Mm -hmm. Um, but there you go I'm sure there were people out there and I'm sure there were books and websites that has all this information that we have yet to discover so what have you been up to um cigar night it is at the Adelphi Mm. and um in in Leeds and myself and Ken I think we've um, kind of like gone above our station, and we've we've invited some corporate sponsorship. Right. Okay. In terms, there's of- a new cigar shop in in um, in Leeds, and we've invited the manager along. Oh, right. Um, to and perhaps bring some samples along. That's almost a very Saint slash Avengers event. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Um, I'll dress up if you like. Yeah, we've booked the outside. Hey, we've done this before. Yeah, we've booked the outside area. Um, so, yeah, it won't look like some gentleman's club uh, inside. Uh, no, we, we can sit outside. So, um, uh, and it is partially undercover as well. So, um, if it is a bit inclement, we should be okay. So, it will look like the Elstree set for the Continental Cafe. It will, yeah. Uh, um, I'm just everyone smoking, uh, smoking loads. 
Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Rose Tinted Black and White Television. I'm Guy Morgan. My co-host, David Newell, is on the other end in uh, Darkest Leeds. And Hello, good evening. Good evening, David. And there's a slight change of structure to our previous episodes because what we've decided to do is reserve our more general chat for the Buzzsprout uh, episodes, um, which, to be honest, are free if you upload half an hour every week, uh, but they do disappear after 90 days, so don't miss out. But the archive and our brand spanking new review section is going to be on the Soundstage North SoundCloud channel. We'll put the link in. I think it may have its own RSS feed once I've figured out what that is. And should you stumble across one of these outlets, then what I would say is please review us on your podcast provider so that the world and their partner can find us and uh, boost our ratings. And so everyone mm. can discuss nostalgic television, which, as we know, is from 1956 Suez to 1974, the three-day week. So, Dave, we haven't actually reviewed a few of the uh, episodes, for, partly because I went on my International Man of Mystery tour. Mm. Shows that we are going to review of The Saint are The Pearls of Peace, The Hour of God, which was in fact shown before The Pearls of Peace, Talking Pictures TV, where these episodes of The Saint can be found every Sunday, uh, the black and white episodes are showing them slightly out of order and I'm not entirely sure why. Maybe it's just the first one that comes to hand. So uh, after that, it's the element of doubt and then uh, the effete angler and the charitable countess, which at the time of recording was the last one. I will on have, Sunday, yeah? On Sunday. And I will have certain things to say about that. Of course, it's the second appearance of Warren Mitchell as the taxi driver Marco de Cesare. Always worth viewing. But returning to the Arrow of God, which is basically, as you remember, Dave, Simon Templar plays Poirot on a Caribbean island. Um, yes. Possibly a mm. Florida island, because I think it's off Miami. I'm not entirely sure um, where it is uh, geographically. But there are several people in it. Some people including the people in the stock footage right at the beginning, doing the limbo dancing, are genuinely of Caribbean origin. Uh, I'm going to broach one of the kind of trickier things that um, I don't think you get away with nowadays in uh, mainstream television, is that John Carson, and you know where I'm going with this, three and a half events so. points, Two May Grays, uh, 15 episodes of Mogul slash Troubleshooters, plus your favourite, Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter. Um, and Plague of the Zombies, which I really like. <laughs> and I can't remember whether he had any prosthetics or makeup for that. But John Carson, according to IMDb, born in Sri Lanka, though you wouldn't know it, and given mm -hmm. that he was probably a child of the Empire, his parents... Um, may have come from Britain. He plays an Indian guru. 
with a turban, sitting in his swimming trunks by a swimming pool. Cross-legged. Cross-legged, with a considerably darker complexion than I recall seeing in his other TV appearances. This is not an unusual thing. There is an episode of Sergeant Cork where Peter Salas plays a Chinese Mandarin. There is another episode of Sergeant Cork set in India where an Indian activist, again in a turban, is played by Ivor Dean, better known as Claude Teal from... From The uh, Saints. Warren Mitchell has also played Indian characters. There was a lot of it, and given that there were enough actors of Mm -hmm. um, talent who were of that original ethnicity, uh, it doesn't really matter where it is, Uh, All I can say is that they were different times. People were just too bloody lazy to go out and seek proper actors. I think I think they um, probably were. And for those, um, for you know, for 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 those Asian uh, actors at the time, or or those of like um, um, Afro Caribbean descent um, at the time, imagine going up for a part, auditioning and auditioning really well. Um, and then coming home and having to tell your family, oh, I didn't get it because some guy's going to black up instead. You just go, well, that couldn't, couldn't do you any good for your, for your self-esteem um, or, or anything like that. No, it would be, say, oh, what? I'm, I've lost out. No. Um, so, yes, John Carson does have to rely on, on makeup to accomplish the part. Um, and an accent. I mean, of course, you had people like um, Peter Sellers, mm. Dick Emery. Spike Sp- Milligan in Korean Chips. Spike Milligan. Um, now, I think he was actually born out there, but um, it doesn't really... Excuse it. <laughs> no, no. So, and for example, if people say, oh, well, there simply weren't the actors around. Well, they were at RADA. Mm-hmm. In that episode of Sergeant Cork, the Maharaja is played by Sai Jaffrey. There you go. There is another guy, I apologise because I haven't got his name to hand, who was the sidekick in it, Ain't Half Hot Mum. Was that Dino Shafiq? And he appears in that episode of Sergeant Cork. And you sort of think, you've got real actors. What were they thinking when they saw Ivan um, Dean? I mean- <laughs> there's a there's an episode of um the strange report with with anthony quayle and it, it marks a very early appearance um for roshan seth oh right yes who played Nehru in in the film gandhi which is one of the villains in indiana jones and the um temple of doom uh i worked a lot with hanif qureshi uh and it was just kind of refreshing to see wow, it's it's an Asian actor and he's playing an Asian part. Yes. And to point out, when people might say, oh, they, they, they simply weren't enough of people around. There is an Edgar Wallace theatre mystery called The Sinister Man. And it involves a lot of stuff to do with an unnamed Asian country, which we'll call China, communist China. And Patrick Allen is kind of acting on their behalf and he's a martial arts expert but there are a lot of east asian actors there and i'm thinking everything is real and we haven't even got to bert kwok yet and in the last Mm. 10 minutes 
Bert appears. And you sort of think, well done. This is great. And that was about 1962, probably predates Sergeant Cork. And you just sort of think there was all sorts of stuff um, going on. Some of it might have been laziness. Some of it, oh, actually, it's difficult to get hold of that person. In rep, it was presumably Mm -hmm. something that people did. Um, Yes. So if you wanted to play the Sheikh of Araby, you got the burnt cork out. It's not a good look nowadays. And no. I, I would venture it wasn't a good look then, particularly if you look back. Now, you would never have been caught out by that, would you? Heavens, no. Um, although in drama school, in, in this is 83, and in, in our first term, our project was to um, devise script write the songs, um, design the set, and then take on tour, um, a play for primary school children around North London. So it's a real real good, like, discipline exercise um, in in terms of that. And when we were deciding what the story was, one of the things that we we looked at was, um, let's look at um, something about the environment, about pollution. Oh, yeah, that's a good thing. Um, And then someone came up with the idea of, of calling it the rainbow pool um or the rainbow pond and um the idea that all the lovely bright colors um are are all being drained away by the pollution and the sludge um and and everything like that and for for then for some reason even though there was no one of uh, um any uh, any any chinese heritage um within our cast we decided to to make it a Chinese production. So everyone had Chinese names. Everyone um, was playing like a Chinese Chinese character. And I must admit, when we were going around some of the primary schools, some of the Chinese uh, Chinese heritage children there really, really enjoyed it because just thought, wow, they're speaking, you know, they're speaking my language. They're using words which I'd normally, you know, use around, um, you know, around the house that my mum and dad use. And uh, um, it was really good to engage with those with those kids. But yeah, we did. We did um, uh, have our have our makeup. We were, I remember being given a lesson on how to make your eyebrows and eyes look more Asiatic. Hmm. More innocent times. Uh, more innocent times. Although the following year, uh, Thomasina Carlisle Palmer got a roasting at a school in Hackney for playing a French maid because <laughs> um, they thought they thought that was wrong. They thought that was a stereotype. Right, but there's no ethnicity issues there. Uh, no, and and thankfully Rosie Wall playing a dog. Um, she she got a clean bill of health as well. Uh, there was no, you know feeling that way. I mean, are you denying a dog this part? I understand one of your number got away with playing a tree. Yeah, Milton. Um, he uh, very shrewdly, um, because therefore he didn't, he, I mean, he had a really awkward costume to have to haul around North London. Uh, but yeah, he he played a tree. So there was less of that. So there was less, um, less opportunity to make up or anything like that. But yeah, the rest of rest of us. And then in the other half of the year, their play was about bogies or bogey people, um, which was um, looking at a revolution within the bogey community. Better lives for bogey wives um, and other such chants. But it was, like I said, it was a good discipline in terms of having to write script um, and then curse the person who came up with the idea of 
having to carry around um, a load of kit when um, the only modes of transport you had was Nick's Mini Metro, which he wouldn't allow anything to be put inside because it was new. And um, like a Morris Minor Estate, which I don't think had an engine. And that was Pat's car. So, yeah, you would just be traveling around on the tube or on buses with your costumes and bits of set or a guitar. It's just occurred to me, Milton's hair now, his stage hair, was that the origin of it? The fact that it looks like a tree? Um, yeah, I think it, I think it could be. What he used to do, whenever we arrived at a school, he would, he would locate the nearest tree and just collect fresh branches for his costume to because then he wouldn't have to he wouldn't have to carry him around with him so he wouldn't because he he lived in south london um he lived in richmond at the time and you know he wouldn't want to be carrying a load of tree branches on the tube so he'd just rock up at the 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 school yeah i'm just gonna hack off some branches there we go we've got it sorted definitely tuned into most efficient way use of time and energy (laughs) yeah right i'm conscious of time I did promise people that we would be going down the Wikipedia rabbit hole about citrons. And, uh, oh, yes. So what I wanted to talk about, you remember that episode of The Saint where Andrew Sachs ordered Simon Templer a car uh, and it turned out to be a citron. And I thought that looks like a pre-war citron. But according to this, going down the rabbit hole, it's... What we were looking at is the Citroën Traction Avant, which basically means front-wheel drive. And it was first produced in 1934. Um, They, in fact, pretty much went bust developing it. Then um, they recovered and uh, were doing quite well. And then the Germans invaded and stole a lot of the cars and everything stopped. And then afterwards, gradually things uh, picked up again. Uh, it says, as the occupation gave way to liberation, they turned up all over France with FFI inscribed proudly on their doors. Less gloriously, the cars were known as favourites amongst gangsters such as Piero Le Fou and his traction gang. They apparently were quite a nasty bunch and um, I found it. Uh, and uh, I think at least one of them died in shootouts with the police, though it doesn't say whether it was Inspector Maigret, who incidentally does seem to use Traction Avant, even though they went out of production in 1957. Maigret started in uh, 1960, and so the French police obviously were making use of them and probably couldn't afford new cars. But they are quite impressive. And as you pointed out, there is uh, a white citron that appears in Diva. In fact, I think there are two because they blew one up. Oh, they do. They destroy one. Uh, and, and the whole audience in the cinema just goes, oh. And then <laughs> the guy casually the guy casually walks across, opens another garage door, and there's another perfect white citron. There's another one, brand new and everyone heaves a sigh of relief. So that's the Wikipedia Uh, rabbit hole. Right, now I'd like to start or or have confirmed from the rumour mill department. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, for uh, those of you who may have seen these very stylish black black citrons, um, they are very stylish and they are black and they are citrons. But they're also quite low in the ground. And I remember someone telling me uh, that Orson Welles, in his latter days, 
turned up for dinner and it was either in rome or paris in a car he couldn't get out uh he he literally could not get himself out of out of the car because of its compactness or its lowness um and if it was in paris i'm wondering whether it was a citron or whether indeed orson wells ever did get stuck in a car um but i think it's a fascinating story i don't know whether and um, we can ask simon callow um on this tweeting or or something like that but yeah what an amazing story apparently he he turned up for, he was going to dinner and the car pulled up but he just simply could not get out um uh, i remember also uh, um probably not a citron uh, raymond chandler did the same thing when he saw um alfred hitchcock trying to get out of a car when he'd come round to his house to talk about the script for strangers on a train and he started laughing at him and saying <laughs> look at him he can't even get out of that car um and understandably the creative partnership took a bit of a nosedive i can't confirm any of those hollywood confidential stories but <sighs> apparently it didn't have enough ground clearance for the french army in the late 30s so the french army turned up their noses all right not having that as a staff car it didn't stop the germans but of course by the time they'd turned up they dominated the roads so it's <laughs> but france was the most motorized country in europe at the time of the invasion which apparently okay wow apparently there was something like a car for every six people the german army on the other hand despite the blitzkrieg reputation still had a lot of horse-drawn stuff coming up behind but the tanks when they rolled over the border didn't have to bother about um, waiting for fuel trucks to arrive they just filled up at the local petrol stations because there were so many of them that's so handy because there would be so many yeah and uh, and they just rolled on to um, create a nuisance at dunkirk yes that was one of the most iconic citrons until the day s and now i wouldn't be able to recognize a citron from uh, a VW or anything else because everything looks the same. They do. You loves unnecessarily large urban vehicles. Um, as um, every urban car now looks as if someone's going to be sat on the front trying to lasso a rhino from the film Hatari with John Wayne. And you just go, do you really need, really need a vehicle that big? Yes, but it would have suited both Orson Welles and Alfred Hitchcock. In the same yes way. yeah they could have they could have gone for a, a country drive and there have been no bother at all sorted right i think that's the time to actually wrap up our shop window episode of roast tinted black and white television we are moving to uh, the soundstage north channel on soundcloud for the review show and catch us next week when we'll think of something else uh, to talk about including possibly a quiz it says here but we'll we'll see about that we'll see how much dave really knows about black oh, and white right so uh if you're just a buzzsprout uh, aficionado uh, then we'll see you next week um and you can listen to us for the review shows on soundcloud my co-host has been david newell i'm guy morgan thank you very much and this is a Soundstage North production. Arrivederci. Va bene. <laughs>